Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Generations. Today we are coming to the end of a great project. Myself, Riki, and Sarah Hayashi have been giving you episode-by-episode coverage of Star Wars Rebels. Today we are finishing that up with episodes 15 and 16 of Season 4, Family Family Reunion, and Farewell. Um, And so first, like they say, not farewell, but welcome... Sarah has not been able to be uh, with us. She has been learning all about the, the world of clay and traveling all over the world and doing all sorts of great things. Sarah, great to have you back with us. Yeah, great to be back. Gra- grad school's no joke. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice to have a little bit of a break and talk some Star Wars before I've got to dive back into it. Yeah. Nice. Well, we had to reschedule this a couple of times because I knew I definitely wanted you both on. And there's certainly we're going to have a lot more things for, for one or both of you to come on again. And Ariki and I have been able to do some great episodes together, but Sarah, I really wanted you to be able to be a part of this last one, so I'm really glad we could make. So I'm really glad we could make it work. Um, and let's kind of, and let's kind of just dive right into it. For those who haven't seen these episodes in a while, or if you are still not watching the episodes, you're just following along with us. Well, you're very brave. And uh, here's the episode summary for episodes 15 and 16. With Price as their prisoner, the rebels force her to give them the clearance codes to infiltrate the Imperial Command Center at the Capitol. This is all part of their attempt to free Lothal. They seize the control room and plan to issue an evacuation order for all Imperial forces to return to the command center, then launch it into space to self-destruct. Rook overhears the plan and warns Thrawn, who tasks him with disabling the planetary shield. Callus issues the evacuation order and all Imperial forces enter the command center, but before they can launch, Thrawn arrives and positions his Star Destroyer directly above the city. Once Rook disables the shield generators, Thrawn orders the rebels to surrender or he will bombard the city. Ezra decides to surrender to stall Thrawn while the rest of the rebels move to reactivate the shields. Thrawn puts Ezra in contact with a hologram of Darth Sidious. Meanwhile, Mart realizes the plan is in trouble and takes the ghost to enact a backup plan Ezra had given him by sending a signal over frequency zero to summon help. As the rebels fight their way to the shield generator, Sidious tries to tempt Ezra with a Sidious tries to tempt Ezra with a promise to revive his parents. Ezra refuses the Emperor's deal and escapes custody, while the rebels are able to raise the shield before Thrawn can commence bombardment of the city. Zeb is able to trap Rook inside the generator as it activates, killing him. Gregor is mortally wounded in the fight and dies. That's what mortally wounded tends to mean. Thank you very much. (laughs) Ezra fights his way to Thrawn and reveals that he he arranged Mart to call the Purgle, who arrive and destroy Thrawn's fleet. The Purgle then grab Thrawn's flagship and prepare to drag it into hyperspace. Despite pleas from his friends, Ezra decides to stay on the ship to make sure Thrawn is defeated for good and they jump away. With Thrawn's fleet gone, the rebels proceed with a plan to launch and destroy the command center. Price chooses to stay and go down with it rather than remain a prisoner of the rebels. Upon witnessing the destruction of the command center, the people of Lethal celebrate and Hera is confident that they'll be able to resist any Imperial attempts to recapture the planet. Five years later, taken to the Rebel Alliance's victory at the Battle of Endor, which both Hera and Rex took part in, the feared Imperial counterattack on Lethal never comes, and the Ghost crew go their separate ways. Zeb takes Callus to meet his family, I mean to Lyrasan, to show him that he didn't truly exterminate all the Lasat species, but it is still very much taking the lover home to meet the parents, beautiful husbands they are, and he is welcomed as one of them. Hera and Rex continue to fight with the Rebel Alliance, and is revealed that Hera gave birth to her and Kanan's son, Jason Sindula. Sabine teams up with Ahsoka Tano to search for Ezra, leaving behind a mural on Lothal depicting the ghost crew. 
And uh, we're not going to do many spoilers for Ahsoka here, but if a lot of this sounds like, oh, hey, is that the thing I saw in Ahsoka? It absolutely is. So, yeah, um, what did we think of these episodes? Well, I've been known to be hyperbolic about my love of this series and individual episodes. And while this isn't one of my top five, I actually went through and I, I charted it out. It's not in my top five episodes. I still think that this may be the greatest series finale in in all of the television I've watched. And yeah. especially in like sci-fi TV series fandom, mm-hmm. like there are some big clunkers out there. So yep. just like being a satisfying ending is 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 the low bar it had to cross. But I, I do think it's just one of the most satisfying endings of a series. Yeah, I I agree. Um, not my favorite episode of Rebels, but still, like, I don't know if it's the best season finale in all of television. Um, I mean, I can't, it was satisfying, right? I don't, I don't think, I'm not dissatisfied by it. I do find the bad season finales much more memorable than the ones that were like, (laughs) oh, that was good and satisfying. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, like, even if we hadn't got Ahsoka, I I still think it would have been a satisfying series finale mm-hmm. if we just don't know what happens after. Like, that's fine. I'm glad they're yeah. doing it. I'm glad Ahsoka exists, though. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's where I am as well. It's, I, I think overall season four is my least favorite of the four seasons, probably. It's, it, it, it feels like it is trying to do a lot to sort of get us all ready for mm-hmm. uh, Rogue One and, and A New Hope and all of that. Which is, you know, fine, and it does put all those pieces in place, but it also feels like, yeah, it is an incredibly satisfying ending. And, you know, on on other episodes, we recently did our uh, a rewatch of the original trilogy, and we're trying to figure out how in the world to rank them. And I'm saying that it's kind of hard because seeing any of them as um, separated from the other two is kind of hard to think about. And in the same way, I feel like. You know, for example, like, is this my favorite viewing of Callus and Zeb together? No. But do all of those viewings of Callus and Zeb really work when I rewatch them? Because I know that they're going to actually get to this place together. Absolutely, yes. You know, and I think that that's uh, what you said, Riki, about it being a, uh, a very satisfying end to the series. It really, to me, kind of like viewing these two episodes on their own doesn't really make that much sense because... Yeah, the stuff in the actual episodes themselves, like, I mean, the Pergo rescuing them is pretty darn cool. Uh, Alex Corman, one of my one of my co-hosts now on the podcast, when we're doing all the rewatch stuff, pointed out that generally when you break the windows of a spaceship, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not very good for it to travel. And yet the Pergo have like, and maybe their tentacles are big enough that it creates vacuum seals. I don't really know. That part was a little bit weird. Um I saw someone had the headcanon that I think is supported by some one line in one book somewhere that the Purgles generate like a little bit of a field around them. And so that maybe that's why it's okay to have smashed the windows of the Star Destroyer. Um, You know, there's a lot of little things like that that don't quite fit, but I don't really care. It's just a it was a very satisfying end to all these character stories and. Especially because, and, and I think by now we've we've forgotten it, but I still remember the chill I got when I saw Ahsoka at the end. Because that was the first time I learned that she's still around. And that maybe there's 
I, I don't even think I was thinking that there'd be more of her story in actuality, but just knowing that somehow, you know, we'd seen what happened with her and Ezra, but knowing that it does come to a real place and that they're going to go out and look and that the story continues and that they had figured out how to answer why in the world wasn't she part of the galactic civil war of the original tr- trilogy. Mm-hmm. I, I liked how it all came together. Yeah. She got like yoinked out of time and space for a hot minute there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I I super agree with the windshield breaking thing. Um, I think I, I pointed that out on this viewing and the viewing previous. There is like Ezra's like kind of force holding a couple things, and like the glass starts, the shards of glass sort of start floating. And I think maybe that's meant to indicate like there's some force magic happening. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also. Like, we, we could have been in a world where they jump to hyperspace and, like, that kills them. And, like, we don't know, right? right? Um, glad we're not, but, like, still possible. And I do think there's, I don't know, like, Mart has some real clunky lines in these episodes. Um, and there's, like, a couple other little, like, moments that are, are a bit, like, annoying, but as, like, a whole makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know, like, I, especially, it's, because it's, like, like you'd mentioned, we've got this, like, hard end, right? We're, like, Mm -hmm. rushing towards this wall that we're about to slam into, and we've got to get everything nicely set up before we get there, and that's, like, always been the case for any sort of prequel movie, right? And, like, Star Wars has it in abundance with all the canon that it's kind of got to keep straight, Um, and I do think that Rebels just does a really good job of getting everybody to that point, but it doesn't necessarily make for like a number one TV show. Well, yeah. like just like a contained episode of TV, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the parts that really worked. We'll definitely talk about some of the, you know, other windshield breaks of the episode. <laughs> um, one of the plot lines I think that I most enjoyed was getting to see so, uh, over the whole series was getting to see some of the aging clones and, mm. you know, all the great stuff that we talked about between Rex, it's Rex, Gregor, and Wolf, I believe, are the three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they really didn't trust uh, uh, Kanan at first, and he didn't trust them, and they really had to work together. And I feel like they got a really beautiful ending together, you know, where Gregor winds up sort of giving, you know, he he's one of the people who has to, who winds up dying in the fight, and it's sad, but it feels very earned. Uh, Wolf comes through the fight, but, but in a very, like, you know he gets to kind of have these really powerful moments with with the uh, with the jedi about like yeah really recognizing and acknowledging like you know burying the hatchet of all their conflicts from from the clone wars and order 66 and all that and you know and just knowing that rex got to continue on and fight in the 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 rebellion i i just love that it really it, it definitely brought a tear to my eyes and a couple of times i watched it yeah i think um especially like rex and gregor's moment as gregor's dying right the like I'm so glad we got to fight for a battle, like for something that we chose to fight for. Yeah. Um, was yeah. Very endearing. Yeah. That hits hard because the, the bad batch continues to explore this Mm. theme in the post, you know, clone wars era and really like presents the idea that the clones are in fact slaves. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And and that line just drives it home that they didn't have a choice, that they were literally grown and bred to fight yeah. in that war and ultimately were led to 
take actions outside of their own desires and controls with Order 66. And that, and you, you know, like I said, Bad Batch is exploring that kind of post-Order 66 trauma for several of the characters. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, that's exactly what I was thinking about as well, is how, like, I think it's powerful even the first time I saw it, but especially how Bad Batch has further filled that in. It really hits home. Um, I, I will say that, you know, it's great that we get to see, I, I think now in one of the most recent edits of return of the jedi you can see the ghost out of the corner of your eye in one of the fight scenes that's fine um i i will not be okay i i believe that rex fought in maybe on hoth maybe he was actually on endor but to me he i i I don't actually don't want him to be on endor i don't want him to be one of like that that the old guy with the big white beard that we see that people have then claimed as rex because to me anytime a person who knew anakin skywalker spends time with one of Anakin Skywalker's kids and we actually didn't get to see him, you know, be like, hey, yeah, I know you I, you should definitely go and try to save your dad because I knew Anakin, blah, 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 blah. Like, don't tell me Rex was there and didn't talk to Luke about it. Like, I just don't want that. I don't want that story. So, but otherwise, I'm good with all of it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, it was, there's a lot of people in the rebellion. I'm fine with just knowing that Rex was there in the background. I don't need X specific character to be Rex. I don't think I'm like as why wouldn't you go talk to Luke? But like, it, right? Like it's a big rebellion. Maybe yeah. maybe he just wouldn't have gone and talked to Luke. That's fine. But yeah, I don't yep. include a scene of them chilling out together. It's like friend Chewbacca territory, right? Where now you have to go out of your way to get Chewbacca yep. to not see Yoda for a long time because like they met a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of silly. So what about I'm, you guys? Oh, go ahead, Ricky. Well, I believe what you're referring to is right in the Rise of Skywalker at the very end when Lando shows up with the the fleet of ragtag ships. There's definitely mm-hmm. the ghost is definitely one of them. I don't believe it's been edited into Return of the Jedi. I thought it had, or that someone had claimed some ship that's in that battle was the ghost a- after all. But I could be all be wrong. I I don't care much one or the other. I was mostly making the joke about it. Yeah, and as for like the the bigness of the rebellion, I yeah, like it's it's huge, and mm-hmm. the fact you know we've talked about the whole Clone Wars, uh, Grievous and Anakin never meeting in the course of the series because of one line in a movie. Yeah. So keeping keeping characters apart is like a tradition in Star Wars <laughs> because you you can't retcon stuff, right? So yeah. You know, one exactly. one line becomes extraordinarily important, and you have to stick to it no matter what. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so, what were some of the other things that really worked for all this about? Really worked about all this for you guys? I I really liked Sabine and Ezra's interaction at the very end, where yeah. she lets him go. Um, yeah, I think that it, right, like it's such a tough moment because they've all just lost Kanan. So this idea of losing another one of your friends probably mm-hmm. does not feel good. Um, but just like the the level of trust that Sabine and Ezra have with each other um, and like all these experiences that, that they've been through, right? That she knows that this is what he has to do and like accepts it, understands it. And then like when Hera tries to get him back, kind of talks her down of like, we have to, we have to let him go. Yeah. I, I kind of wish I had seen these episodes right before I watched the Ahsoka show, because mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to do exact spoilers for it, but Sabine's feelings about how this happened is, is an important part of that show. So, mm-hmm. yeah, these episodes are really great for it. And it's an earned relationship. Mm-hmm. 
that's one of the most important things for me in a TV show is when the writers and to some degree the actors as well collaborate and let the characters dictate what happens. And this this yeah. show, like if we go back to season one, it started off with a clunky attempt at making them potential love interests, right? And like they flirted a little, and yeah. Ezra was was a uh, rebuffed. <laughs> and then they had they they had a more natural relationship and friendship. And it's still, you know, there's now that we have these characters back, it's possible that there may be a romance in the future. Mm-hmm. But let the characters you know, grow into that and determine that for the show, I think is important. And here, like, it it happened in such an organic way that it's very lovely. And so much was unspoken between them, right? Just oh. a lot of eye contact yeah. and, and nods, yeah. which is a weird, you know, like, in, a, in an animated show, it's not really acting, it's, but yeah. it's, it's it, it was good. It was well done. Yeah, I mean, I... Award season is upon us again, and I've kind of given up hope on awards many years ago because I know how political it is and all that kind of stuff. But you still pay attention. And there's a part of me that always feels like, you know, in terms of acting awards for animated characters, like the voice actor should be a big part of it. But also I think the animator should be a big Mm -hmm. part of it because, like, they're creating the body language. They're creating the the facial expressions that, that, that drive all of that. One thing also on a similar vein that I was thinking about, again, because it's subtle, it's not really pointed out, and I think I didn't really even put it together until this last viewing of it, is that, you know, at the beginning of the show, I I wouldn't even say that Ezra is selfish in terms of, like, a negative character trait, but he's learned, like, no one else is going to look out for him, so he's got to take care of himself and kind of to hell with everybody else, and then maybe, like okay, look out for other people, but still, like, you know, keep take care of yourself and take care of the people you're closest to. And by the end, he's making this very noble, like, you know, sacrificing himself for others gesture, um, which is very interesting because it kind of plays a little... <laughs> Go listen to the last conversation Riki and I had recently on my other podcast, Superhero Ethics, all about uh, self-sacrifice and the way that can be mobilized for good or for not-so-good purposes uh, in regard to the most recent Gojira movie. Godzilla minus one. Um, but here we see him basically sacrificing himself for others. He doesn't necessarily know that he's going to die, but he has no idea what's going to happen, certainly. Um, and and not only is that a nice touch on where his character had been himself, but he's basically doing exactly what his mentor did just a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. where Kanan sacrificed himself to save everybody else. And now that's exactly what Ezra's doing. And... Like, on the one hand, it feels heartbreaking to Hera and Sabine and Zeb and the Ren and Chopper. You know, he, he's got a little emotions underneath the uh, fanatical genocidal maniac that he is. Um, <laughs> but you know how hard it would be to watch not one, but both of them sacrifice themselves to save everyone else. But that's kind of, you know, Ezra really follows in Kanan's footsteps. Yeah. And beautifully mirrored action. Like, their, po- yeah. their poses mm-hmm. are very mirrored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, Thrawn kind of draws attention to it in the little speech that he gives. Oh about, my gosh! Yeah, right about making the the moral choice versus the like sensible, logical, mm-hmm. strategically sound choice. And I think like that's what you're talking about, Matthew. Like in the beginning, Ezra was making the strategically sound choice that kept him alive because he had to, because that's how he had to grow up. Um, right. And and now like he's making the choice. The moral choice for his family, right? Like, not and not to say that like 
what Israel was doing was necessarily immoral, right? We're all put in tough situations. You got to act in certain ways. But it's it's just nice to have Thrawn articulate it, I guess. And also anytime Thrawn's talking is a good time. So Yeah. But, he, but he's such a villain. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked in the past about the characterization of Thrawn and like book Thrawn versus Rebels Thrawn and like, is he a villain? Is he an anti-hero, anti-villain? What, what not? Unquestionably, like his actions and his words in this episode, villain. Yeah. He, he opens fire on a civilian population to intimidate his enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he bends the knee to the emperor, not literally, but you know, my emperor brings Ezra to him. And he has that ridiculous villain monologue about power. And how, like, it's not about what people deserve. Like, all that matters is who has the power. It's just like, yeah. no, he's he's a villain in this show. And I think that's really interesting. And A, because there are the people, like, I think we've all agreed that, the as, as you just said, there's really three different characters at this point. There's the original uh, extended universe novels, the ones that kind of started it all out, Heir to the Empire, where he's just a straight-up villain. There's this character, who I think I agree with you, is also pretty straight-up villainous. Uh, a lot more humane than uh, the last than he is in, in those novels, uh, the original novels, but still willing to bomb civilians, willing to take these, you know, horrible steps and, and very kind of megalomaniacal in the way he does it. And then there's the one of the more recent books. And I, I, think, it, I think a lot of people who really want to defend Thrawn all the time Part of it's because they really want to focus on that version of Thrawn. And I know Timothy Zahn wasn't really consulted for Rebels, which is something that he has expressed that he wasn't happy about. And I don't think it is therefore coincidence that the Thrawn of the more recent novels that Zahn has written, mm-hmm. there are two different instances in those books where he is asked by his superior, asked or told by his superior officers to fire on civilian uh, populations, and he expressly ref- refuses. And he kind of has some philosophical musings on why you should, like, that's a step he will never take. I don't know that's how much, like, Timothy's on just wanting to, like, having kind of fallen in love with his villain character and wanting to make him more and more of an antihero. Or it's kind of Timothy Zahn's FU to what Disney did, mm-hmm. what, uh, not Disney, but what, um, you know, Re- Rebels did to their char- uh, his character with this one. I don't really know the inside baseball story of it, but I do think it's very interesting that this is a very specific thing that this version of the character does that the version of the character in the later written works specifically repudiates. Yeah. I mean, I have, I love Thrawn, the character. I've said that before, regard, yeah. you know, re- regardless of which version, I just think he's a fascinating character. Yeah. And like my opinion on villains like this and fandom is that we have to be careful. Like, I think creators have to be careful and we as fans have to be careful about, like, how we idolize them and how we treat yep. them as, you know, like, enjoying them for their villainy, but understanding, like, that they are evil. Yeah. It is an important distinction I think we should make as fans. Yeah. But, I mean, we've had so much, especially, I mean, I don't know, maybe this has always been a thing, but recently with stuff like Loki... Right, where the the anti hero the villain to anti hero trope is kind of a a thing is just like misunderstood bad boy, and like I mean, I'm super guilty of it, mm-hmm. right, of falling in love with these characters and falling in love with the idea that they can change and the satisfaction of then watching that happen yep. um because I think it's i mean it's it's 
seems like a good thing to wish that like the bad people stop being bad people yeah. and start making good choices. Like that's a really satisfying thing to watch, but sometimes the bad people are just still bad people. Yeah. Um and yeah, I I don't know, like I haven't read any of the the book versions of Thrawn. I only know Thrawn <clears throat> from Rebels and like from listening to podcasts about it and like hearing Riki talk about it, it seems like the latest book version is kind of more like Sherlock Holmes and less villain at all. He's very Sherlock Holmes, although that was true originally. And and uh, Timothy Zahn has been on record saying that he like reads through Conan Doyle like Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes stories sure. before yeah. every time he re- he writes him. And yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, I think that the like. The, the villain who takes a hero turn at the end, I mean, that's Darth Vader's story, literally. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's always been a part of it. And you're right. It, it It's a very satisfying story at times, particularly when it's played by a young male actor who's quite handsome. And, you know, therefore we want to forgive him all the things because he, he just looks so pretty when he's sad and guilty. And if we just give him a hug, <laughs> everything will be better. And and that's why I, I we've had some great discussions already. And I want to do at some point a full episode just on the idea of redemption arcs and how I think that word gets used way too easily. I think in the books, they they actually are posing a different kind of a question, which is if you are yourself locked in a life or death struggle just for yourself or your family or your, you know, your, your whole people, your society with a, you know, existential threat, just how far can you go? You know, what, what, you know, at what point is it too far to say, you know, what deals with the devil can you make and mm-hmm. and still be able to think that you're doing the right thing because it's for this noble cause? And I mean, that's an issue very much in our own world right now. Um, and I think that's the real interesting question about the Thrawn books is like Thrawn presents it as a character who doesn't like the emperor, who thinks the emperor is both morally and just militarily strategically wrong, but that he thinks that a strong empire is a better help to him against his own people's you know, great enemy. And I I think, to me, I think where the books come out is he, he crosses the line. He goes too far. But it, it leaves it in a way that a lot of people are like, no, no, he's just an antihero. He's just misunderstood. And I think as we're all saying, whatever else you think about what is said about him in the books, he's bombing civilians here. Mm. And and that's, I think there's other things he's done already that are beyond the pale, but that that has to be a pretty clear line of you're no longer claiming you're on the good side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we do have, like, a thing that always kind of bothers me, I guess, about the this episode is when, like, they mentioned that part of their plan is get everybody, get all the personnel into the dome, launch the dome into the sky, and blow it up. And, like, that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Right? And, like, they're all... They've all signed on to the Empire, presumably willingly. I don't know. Are there just some, like, technicians who are hired as contractors? Are there people who are just doing it because they've been forced into it? It's, like, it's a little icky. I mean, we we do the, know that the stormtroopers are all conscripts. Yeah. Yeah, right? So it's, like, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it always kind of irks me not ir- like not irks but just like gives that like little scratch at the back of my brain that's like mm-hmm. maybe not this maybe this isn't great but I mean, again it's a cartoon like yeah. they're all mustache twirling bad guys so it's okay um yeah i don't know 
Well, speaking of mustaches mm-hmm. or mutton chops, yeah. When Matthew, you were talking about redemption arcs, you know, mm-hmm. Darth Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, like Star Wars, the movies kept cheating us by yeah. killing the character. And in this series, we get what many people, myself included, consider the best villain redemption arc in Callus, who's here at the end, fighting for the rebellion, giving a fantastic line to Governor Price Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, like, you know, you betrayed the Empire. He's like, the day I betrayed your Empire is the day I stopped betraying myself. And it's just like the perfect line for him. And Mm -hmm. it kind of completes his arc. And it's, again, like, I keep using the word earned for so many of these characters. He earned it because he had to go through stuff. He had to literally earn the trust of the rebels as Fulcrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you put it so perfectly because to me, there really is a difference. And that's why I didn't say, like, that the original movies are about Vader's redemption arc because I I think it isn't. I I think Vader and Ben Solo are two characters who make a hero turn. Like, mm-hmm. towards the end of their lives, uh, they have realized the mistakes they've made, maybe in terms of, like, a justice way, maybe just because in the, like, I want to save my kid way, um, or my or the woman I love way, or whatever it is. Um, and they do the good thing, and I think we can then get into much larger arguments of, does that wipe out all the evil that they've done? And I don't necessarily think it does. Callus, to me, yeah, I to me, he joined... Callus... Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender and Katra from Shira to me are kind of like the holy trinity of uh, pure, pure real, real redemption arcs where it's not earned immediately and where it's not just I did this nice thing and now you trust me. It's they really have to earn the trust. They have to do the work of unpacking and facing and taking accountability for the harm they've done and not just doing it you know, because convenient or this is safer for them. Um, yeah, so I, I it just... I, I love the connection between him and Zeb, but mostly what I love is that it is, and I think it is part his, like, warrior respect for Zeb, and it's, like, a strong connection, but it is clearly, I think, a love connection, mm-hmm. um, and it is just, <laughs> it it just leads to this beautiful, beautiful story of redemption for him, to that moment where, because he did, he did believe that he had wiped out this entire people, and he felt horrible about that, and the recognition that not only are there just a couple of survivors, but that they are rebuilding and thriving and that they are welcoming him to be a part of it is, yeah, I, I mean, I'm getting choked up just talking about it and I've seen it probably 10 times by now. Yeah, I I mean, oh, I love Kalos and Zeb and I mean, they're, they're not not a couple. You can't convince me otherwise. Um, it, it's just, it's so sweet and like earned. Yeah, I guess maybe that's like... I don't know, do you need to earn redemption? I think that's, like, a whole thing we could get into. But, yeah, the fact that, like, he he doesn't just do... I like I like the phrase hero turn as well, like, as opposed to yeah. a, a heel turn, right? Like, yeah. you've just snapped, decided to go to the goody side instead of, like, out of nowhere going to the baddie side. Um, oh, God! <laughs> what? Sorry, I'm just doing my JR as a wrestling thing. Ah, wrestling, yes. <laughs> I'm as lost as you are. Yeah, cool. (laughs) Someone gets that, I'm sure, and it's very appreciative. Um, But yeah, yeah, Callus and Zeb. I I mean, I want to see more of them in... Mm -hmm. We saw Zeb briefly in... Mandalorian Mandalorian? Season 3. There you go. Um, But we haven't seen Callus yet, I don't think, in live action. That's Um, correct, yeah. 
And I, I just, I want to see more of them and their happy little family living on Lyrasong, doing some rebel stuff, being cute. Yeah. Yeah, I would love that. Um, I, I initially had some real concerns about if Zeb could be done well in live action, but I think they've shown that he, he can be. And so I'm frustrated we haven't gotten more of him. Um, oh, just to be clear, also backing up, when I say the redemption isn't earned, I, I, I'm not saying that I don't think the character has morally earned redemption. I mean that the show hasn't mm. earned the like gotcha. saying that it's redemption. I, I think that whole other question of like, has he earned redemption? That's a whole like moral, theological, you know, ethical yeah. one that we can go round and round and round on. But yeah, mostly it's just that idea of like from the show's perspective, like <clears throat> you don't get to tell me like everything's wonderful now because they, you know, didn't let, you know, their own kid be killed or, you know, something else like that. For sure. No, I, I yeah, I get what you're saying now. It's not just we're, we're like told he's good now. So it's yeah. okay. We get to like see the the progress, I guess. So like watch those little micro changes happening. Like Callus mm-hmm. sitting on his bed, contemplative. Oh, yeah. so good. So good. So good. Um, I feel like I've been very good in holding out half an hour before mentioning my one true love, Hondo Onaka. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he gets to be part of it. I think I deserve a cookie or something for that. <sighs> but um, speaking of shows that I would watch forever, the Callus the and Zeb show is there, mm-hmm. but also the Melch and Hondo show I want to watch right now forever please and thank you yeah i i love that we brought back hondo and like ketsu too it was cool to see her again Mm -hmm. some some piratey folk but yeah just i hondo's so great hondo's so great hondo and melch is great they're adorable i think at one point Hera alludes to like their special relationship and i'm like okay say more on that but we we don't (laughs) yeah <clears throat> yeah, this I, show has done such a good job of layering these secondary characters who have been guests. You know, like Hondo has appeared in maybe a half dozen episodes over four seasons, would be yep. my guess. Of course, then we knew him from Clone Wars. But the connection to Ezra is real. And when he says, I would do anything for that mm-hmm. boy, I think it was in the previous episode, we believe it. And yeah. and all of these relationships, like that is what makes to me like this finale so satisfying and, and such a good ending to the series is that it brings back all these characters that have real relationships and connections to Ezra and the ghost crew and shows how much his life and his involvement in their lives meant to them. Yeah. And I, I wish it, it, it's already a huge cast. Of characters mm-hmm. in this finale, but I do wish we could we could have seen like a Mandalorian, like Fen Rao. I, I mentioned while watching it, like AP Five is missing yeah. from it, the droid, and yep. you know, like you you can't. There's not enough time for them to all have their moments. So I understand, like as a as a written television show, you can't bring everyone back. But those are just like my personal. Uh, yeah. I wish we could have had more people. Yeah, I. I, I agree, and I do think it gets to be a little, like, we kind of hit that tipping point, because we've got, um, like, Visago hanging out with Mart, and is it Gregor that's with them? It's Wolf, because they make several Wolf yep. jokes. Yeah, okay. Um, Visago hanging out with them, and, like, he's just there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Visago doesn't really get to do much other than exist in the background. Um, and I think like part of I think I mentioned Mart having some like awkward lines earlier on. Like I think it feels like forced conversation to be like, and they're here too. Um yeah. 
right? It's just like a little awkward, but I do going back to like and when we were talking about Thrawn being sort of pure, pure, pure evil to like anti-hero Sherlock Holmesy thing throughout the book TV show book arc mm-hmm. of his life. I think like Hondo, if we look back to like one of our first or second introductions to Hondo, where he's about to murder a bunch of like small children. Oh yeah. Right? To, like, this Hondo? I mean, but I I fully believe that over that, like, the span of time, the little micro-changes that Hondo has made from yeah villainous pirate to, like, no, call me a pirate because it's more romantic um, pirate, which, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's satisfying to watch it happen that way instead of yeah. just, like, having what feels like separate characters. Yeah, having a second, like, I do think that they wrote him very evil in the first episodes, and they were like, wait, this guy's a lot of fun. Let's make yeah. him more fun. But I think after that, it really is, because when he it, when it starts out, I think particularly it's because of Ezra, and we mm. get character growth. And I think, I, I again, never really thought of it in these terms, but what you, Ricky, were saying about all those connections, I think this winds up being a really beautiful story about how rebellions come together, about how political movements come together, and it's community organizing. Mm-hmm. It's all about these connections that the the rebel crew builds, and and not entirely, but primarily, uh, Ezra. You know, Ez- Hondo, like, you know, he loves. He really, Hondo has this great relationship with Ezra, but he's still willing to like lie and deceive and, and you know, rip him off until he's not. And 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 Ezra shames him and is like, "I'm sorry, Hondo. I really thought you would do better." You know, and 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 he changes and. I think that's true with so many of the people is that the rebel crew either inspired them to do better or inspired them to have hope or inspired them to think that they could work for something beyond just their own survival. And for me, as someone who really cares about how do we make justice movements happen in the world, particularly when it feels like we're all so divided, that's a really powerful message. Yeah, um, I think that I don't know if they like explicitly state it um but the the idea of like we win by protecting what we love which i know is a line from one of the last Jedi. Jedi. thank you um like it seems like i don't know like hera really exemplifies it and like it kind of extends to the rebel crew too like i think ezra it took ezra a while to get on board with it because like even recently right like he was wanting just to defend Lothal, like trying to convince Bon Mothma to go back to defend Lothal. She's like, there's a thousand Lothals. Like we can't just because that's yeah. the place where you're from. We can't focus our energy there. Um, but yeah, to this, like I'm now willing to get hyperspace whaled away yeah. to protect everybody. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's nice to watch the development and have it feel real and not just out of yeah. left field. Yeah. Yeah, it does. To me, it's the exact opposite of the rise of Skywalker, where after everyone doesn't answer Leia's call in Last Jedi, but all of a sudden Lando Carosians are like, "Hey, want to go <laughs> fight death-defying odds? Sure, why not? Yeah, why not? I don't know. Lando's I, cool. I mean, have you heard his voice? <laughs> I I have, I have, but still, um, I I I never bought Cult Forty Five, no matter how good his voice is on those That's ads. Fair. Um, there you go. Yeah, but, it or even like Last Jedi, the like friendship kiss thing and then ben dies like i uh, i don't know that, that's in rise of skywalker yeah let's let's put Leave the blame where it should be sounds but good bye <laughs> I, yeah I, I think just why the community building part 
mm. works for me so much is also it just it stands in such utter um you know utter uh rejection of everything that the emperor is because it mm. and the empire is because the empire is about like that's been prices and thrown prices whole story is she doesn't believe in the empire she believes in covering her ass she believes in yeah. doing what she can do to best advance and you know callous like we said got out of that um and all these other people are just stuck in this you know it, it's not a family the way the rebels are it's it's the it's this empire yeah i think the like grassroots community looking out for each other is i mean it's it's great um but also the like have having eh. it's weird because like the ghost crew are obviously heroes that get into like wacky shenanigans and all sorts of zany adventures right but it's nice and having like a quote-unquote quieter look at the rebellion Mm -hmm. right like we're not there with bon mothma we're not like seeing luke blow up the death star we're seeing these like auxiliary little rivers of what's going on and having it be just like a smaller community that we get to follow is yeah i don't know it it seems more special to witness those smaller moments i guess yeah i i have a thing that kind of ties a lot of the stuff we've been talking about together in a weird in a weird way that is satisfying to me. <laughs> I, I like weird. Go for it. And that is Captain Pelion. Who is Captain Pelion? So, oh, roll up for, your sa- sleeves, for Sarah. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, in in the original novels, Captain Pelion is the captain of Thrawn's star destroyer, the Chimera, and he is like his kind of Watson to Holmes. He's the one that Thrawn is always explaining his brilliance to. Okay. And he's like the cabbage head who's standing there like, oh, like I don't understand, Grand Admiral. Mm. At and, the and end of this... All the chapters about Thrawn are from Pelion's point of view. Oh, nice. Nice. And at the end of this episode, Thrawn says, my blockade will stop them, you know, regarding the Pergil, and they don't, and he calls up to Pelion. And it's actually, I like the moment because it's also Thrawn loses his cool. I think it's the first time we see him lose his cool. He's just like shouting at his bridge staff. And he calls up to Pelion and Pelion's like, we couldn't stop them. And like it breaks up, right? But the, the, the what is important to me is that he is not with Thrawn. And, and part of that is because he can't go with him to the Unknown Regions. Because the books establish that he fought at the Battle of Endor, so he has to stay in the galaxy, mm. like from a Star Wars perspective. Right. But, you know, we're talking about the ghost crew and all of the auxiliaries as this found family, found rebellion. And in this moment, in this final battle, Thrawn's most trusted ally is not with him on the bridge of his flagship. Yeah. And I think that is just like he's he's literally standing alone. Like Rook is not there either. Governor Price is not there. It's just him and a bunch of lackeys. Right. No, it's so true. And it's um and, and here's where I do think the books really feed in well because the books that kind of uh one of the books is set in between uh his, his uh the, the rebels defeating him at the end of season 3 and then them now defeating him again at the end of season 4. And in that time, both Vader and the Emperor really question his loyalty and question his competence and set up this thing where he kind of feels like he has to defeat them. Like, I I do think there's an extent to which he he's under the books, at least then later, you know, it's kind of retroactively. But they're kind of saying this thing about, yeah, how 
you know, the rebels are all supporting each other. On his side, yeah, what the emperor is saying is you got to do this or you'll get killed. And Price is in the same way. And that's part of why Price is willing to just, just die as part of this. Because she knows there's, you know, there's no other future for her. She, mm-hmm. There's no future she wants as a rebel prisoner. But also she goes back. The Empire will just kill her for, for grossing miscompetence, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 I mean, like she, she mentions it, right? Like if Thrawn yeah. gets here before I get the Jedi, I'm executed. And yeah. you will be too for fun. Um, so go look harder. Yeah. Two, two, two other things I just want to comment on, just kind of feeding into stuff. You guys were saying, Riki, I'm really glad you used the words found family because I do think that's a really big part of it. Um, and, and to me, you know, found family, I, th- I think it's a term that most of our fans know pretty well by now. We've talked about it before. But it, it and I think you can pretty much, like, it, it's used by a lot of people, but it has an especially amount of significance in, like, the queer community and in other communities, folks who, both by physical distance or just because people have passed on, but often because there's emotional barriers, um, really aren't connected to, you know, their, their birth family or their blood family or their, their adoptive family. And so these families of choice and found families become so important. And it really is at the heart and, heart and soul of the show. And it's something that I think they, they kind of really name uh, in this. And I think it's Ezra has, starts out really carrying this idea of if only my parents were still here, mm-hmm. you know, everything would be better. And that he's not part of the ghost crew because he's still holding the torch for his parents who have, who have passed on. Uh, and then they haven't passed on, but they have. There's all sorts of shenanigans and so the fact that he like literally gets tempted to abandon his found family to try and have this version of his birth family again which again it's this like dark side shadow and i think that's i I, you know it's not that it's not that i think he is saying his found family is more important than his parents but that the i think at at the in season one ezra would have absolutely abandoned the ghost crew to have his real to have his you know actual parents with him again and by the end, he doesn't. Like, he's able to resist the temptation. I think it, it's a real sign of the found familyness of it all. For sure. And I, I mean, I also think that, like, going back a few episodes, his, like, interaction with Ahsoka when he saves Ahsoka and then immediately goes to try and save Kanan, and she kind of, like, talks him out of it. Like, I think that was also important that that happened mm-hmm. so soon before, right? And, like, even... I don't know. I feel like the Emperor thought that this was going to be a much bigger temptation to Ezra. And, like, Ezra obviously seemed sad about it and was, like, it was good to see his parents. But I didn't get the sense that at any point did he feel like he was going to take the Emperor up on this offer, right? Like, he already knew that, like, Hera and Kanan were his surrogate mom and dad. And Mm -hmm. even though, like, Kanan's passed on and he can't save him. So, like, Mm -hmm. his birth parents have passed on. He can't save them either. (laughs) Which... Is it like a lot of growth, right? A lot of like yeah. acceptance. Um, yeah, and totally agree. And that's also like back at the beginning when we were talking, and Riki mentioned like the possibility of Ezra and Sabine getting together. I made mm-hmm. a very gross face um, because, like, I don't know, they're like brother and sister in my mind. And I mean, I'm not a Star Wars writer. Maybe it'll happen. Who knows? Um, but it just feels like they f- feel like a family, right? Like, yeah. you've got your your Uncle Zeb, mom and dad, and Heron, Kanan, and then like the kids, right? They call them the kids several times. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I, okay. I had a lot to say about that during the Ahsoka show. So I'll just mm-hmm. say for people who are curious sure. more of my thoughts, check out our coverage of Ahsoka. Uh, I had one other little thing to add also, and then Riki, I think you have something. Um, 
just on what you were saying, Sarah, about the like the many getting to see just kind of like one of the st- streams that eventually becomes the river of the rebellion. Mm-hmm. I, I after the first time I really watched this, I wound up watching because um, I I watched this late after it had been out for a while. So I think I watched Rogue One before I'd watched all of this, but then I watched Rogue One again after watching it and realized that like that great scene of like all these different people who've come together to form the rebellion and like. Jin is trying to convince them all to to join in the fight. They're not sure if they were, but I love thinking of like they all had their own Lethals, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they they all had like the Mon Calamari are there. They were a peaceful people, you know. They got involved in the in the Clone Wars, but like what happened to bring Admiral Radic and the rest of the the Mon Calamari fleet? You know what happened on uh, all these other different planets to get them to become a part of the rebellion? I love this story that it's like they probably all had some version of. The ghost crew or some version of the battle of the fall you know something like this and so yeah it's really great to see the smaller it's kind of a microcosm of all the things that grow up into the rebellion yeah for sure so sarah brought us to the point of talking about the jedi temple scene mm-hmm. and i want to start by saying what an absolute legend ian mcdermott mm-hmm. is in his portrayal of yep. sheev palpatine <laughs> Because in in the in this episode, he is a hollow projection, and he projects this like sheave the white, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, of like almost like a cleric, right? Like in white robes, and it's like this. Oh, I'm just a nice old man, <laughs> and like his voice matches that. Except there are just like these small moments where he's like trying to convince, you know, nudge Ezra to the dark side to use the temple. Where that little bit of the emperor of the Darth Sidious like creeps into his voice. And and in particular, there's one line where he says, you deserve this. And like, he's still like in his guise, but it's like, you deserve this. It's just like yeah. that little bit of pulling with the dark side mm-hmm. and just delightful performance. You know, all through Clone Wars, and we talked about this, we had a number of different voice actors play uh emperor palpatine a senator pal chancellor palpatine many of whom i think did a very good job um tim curry especially was one of them who was just great but i am so glad they got ian mcdermott the the original actor from the original movies and who was also the actor in rise of skywalker um back for this voice acting because yeah i think it is is so good and frankly like so now we add ezra to the long list of people long list who have seen right through Palpatine's manipulations and be like, thanks, but no thanks. It it kind of just makes me more and more think that Anakin's a punk. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, Anakin. Anakin had issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. And he does I, set the, like, I do think that the, I, I think the emperor was at his most manipulative with Anakin. And then for some reason just never goes back to that. And, mm-hmm. Like this is a much weaker attempt um than 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 that is, but Yeah, and he's like he's like, trying to pull the same strings, right? The like your family, think about your family, but it's just not right. working for Ezra because Ezra has the, the found family that yeah. Anakin didn't, right? Like or he only had Padme. Padme was Anakin's family at that time. What well, yeah. It's all it goes Go ahead. Well, it goes to the Obi Wan relationship. Like mm-hmm. Dave Filoni has made a lot out of this about the the fact that Qui Gon was killed. He was supposed to be Anakin's father, so instead Obi Wan is the one who raises him. But he, you know, literally says, "You were a brother to me," so he he couldn't be the father. 
to Anakin. Yep. And the I think the guilt that Obi-Wan feels is because of that, because mm-hmm. he failed Anakin. Like, he couldn't be the father. And, yeah, just like Ezra had Kanan, and we've talked on this show about how that's like the best <laughs> Kanan's the best Jedi ever. Mm-hmm. And that was like the best master and apprentice relationship ever in, that we've seen in Star Wars. And I, I think it's all connected in that way of like, this is how it should have been in a yeah. way, like how Anakin and Qui-Gon could have been perhaps and how Obi-Wan failed in that role, unfortunately. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I, I have two rapid fire things that are, not related to anything we've talked about, but are related to this episode. Um, if that's chill. Go for it. Okay. The first is Rook um, and how everybody keeps referring to Rook as like a thing or an animal, even though he's clearly sentient. What up with that? Um, mm. I think that's whack. Um, and the, the second thing is Ezra's speech about like, you didn't make this, you didn't earn it, you don't understand it regarding Thrawn and his art collection needs to be like plastered <laughs> on the walls of like the British Museum and mm-hmm. uh, all sorts yeah. of those establishments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's such the perfect um, comparison because we saw exactly that dynamic back when, um, you know, he was in the Sindula household mm-hmm. where clearly he like, he wants people to respect the art of, of the Sindulas and of the Twi'leks and all that. But it's also very much like we, the more civilized empire, yeah. like your native primitive art should be on our museum yeah. walls where we can talk about like the wonderful artisticness of the Twi'lek people. Yeah. You know, but... so paternalistic, just like we we understand the art. The people don't care about them. The art, very important. Like I saved this mural that Sabine Wren created because it's such an important piece of art about to blow her up but i saved the mural that's you know the thing and i can do my art history analysis on it yep sit in my little chip screw you thron or i'm getting all worked up yeah there we go there we go yeah i mean i agree with all that and specifically with rook i it's to me it's disappointing because star wars has often been a story about aliens, like literal aliens, and, you know, as a metaphor for, for our world. And the Rebellion has been a collection of aliens, whereas the Empire has been this monolithic human empire. Yeah. And so to have, you know, Thrawn himself is also an alien, but to to treat Rook, Rook like that, like to call him, I think, a, the thing His and pet. Thrawn's pet... Yeah. Especially when he often fights against Zeb, like they are presented as kind of op- opposites in terms of like physical strength, right? Yeah. Or, or equals. And it's like, well, if you think of Rook that way, like, what do you think of Zeb is, is kind of like how yeah. I ended up feeling about it. Yeah. No, I think it's a fair comparison because they're, they're both like they're both bipedal. But they're both more animalistic than we think of, like, the traditional, like, humanoid-type alien yeah. figure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more bestial or whatever words you want to use. And all these are, are problematic. And I think, yeah, it's it's a really, um, you know, kind of goes back to, you know, Chewie not getting his own medal. Um, which I yeah. know there's there's now a canon explanation for, but that's oh, nonsense. That? Yeah. It's, uh, it, we're not going to go into it. It's, it's fine. very silly. But, you know, I, I do think it's, like, I, I wish that we had... I don't know, four more seasons of Rebels and we could have gotten into the nuance yeah. of like treating like 
giving humanity to people you consider your enemies is like important because it's also a reflection on like those people who are in your in-group as well um but yeah well especially because uh in the first set of books and forgive me for spoilers for books that are older than probably most of our listeners um (laughs) i read them when i was 10 um like in those books um rook and his people the nogri are this really beautiful aspect to the story of they're these people who really believe in honor and they fight for the empire because in their understanding, the empire came and and rescued their world from ecological destruction. And we learn through the course of the three books that not only did they, the empire not never actually save them, but the empire is basically just continuing the ecological destruction so that the people continue, like, it's 100% continuing cycles of dependency mm. so that, like, the people will, will feel incredibly dependent on them and be very easily manipulated. I mean, it's 100% classic abuser uh, behavior. And in the end, they figure this out, and it is Rook who kills Thrawn at the end of those books oh. uh, in a really beautiful, like, mm-hmm. we have figured this out way. And so, yeah, having Rook's character just be, again, apologize for spoilers, but... 30 years old um but like it is just a really beautiful way i think of ending that story and so it it, to me it felt like in the books the characters were super badass warriors with this incredible rich nuanced story of loyalty and honor and and betrayal and for these they were like oh they're badass warriors let's forget about all the rest yeah, well, it's not even like they're badass words. It's just like they're an animal. Like, they just kept referring to him as though he were, like, one of the wolves, right? Like, mm, right. not a sentient being. And even if, like, right, because I think it's, like, wolf who's talking. He's like, that that thing came for us, like, Thrawn's mm-hmm. pet. Even, like, having, like, I don't know, like, like not Visago, that doesn't make sense. But having someone there to be like, Rook's a dude. You, you yeah. can just call him a person. Like, he's a bad person and we don't like him, but he's still a person. Even yeah. his ally, Governor Price never calls him by name, always refers to him as assassin. Yeah, but right. that makes sense, right? Because Price is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? I, I don't know. Well, yeah. I'm I'm presenting it more of, I guess... He gets what, it from all, what, all sides? Or just like what the writers, like their, their mindset with this character mm-hmm. of not... Because ultimately it's the writers who aren't True. treating Rook like a, a person, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like I think if others had done differently, device. then it works as, you know, Price has a lot of the the human superiority uh, prejudices of the Empire. But the fact that it's everybody who sees it like that. Yeah. yeah. Just, just disappointing. Getting all meta. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think overall, good episodes, not necessarily the favorite, but in terms of how it wrapped everything up, just no complaints, you know? Yeah. Just would, very would not watch solid these in isolation. That would be weird. But as like the the dessert of a very enjoyable meal of rebels, fantastic, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And the whole second half of the season. So like when I watch Rebels, I, sometimes I'll just watch individual episodes because they're really good. Like I did mm-hmm. that this time to finish up. I think we went through uh, the honorable ones, which is Zev and Callus on the Ice Moon. So good, oh, so um, good. Twin so good. Sons, which is the Mall, the Mall Obi Wan episode and then we got to to jedi knight which Sad. is the the canaan episode from season four and from that point in this season from from jedi knight onward i think it's like six episodes you just can't stop watching <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's it's an arc 
It's a and it's a good arc. I don't know if it's my favorite arc, but it, it it's like yeah, you can't turn it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. When we're gonna talk a little bit uh, in our bonus section uh, for members uh, about specifically like some of the things that we kind of learned or saw on this rewatch through it together. Um, uh, going through it's been you know more than a year, but I just want to say to both of you, it has been such a joy and a pleasure uh, to do this whole project with you. We went through the Clone Wars, we've now gone through Rebels. Uh, we're going to continue to find great things to talk about, but uh, it has just been such a joy. And I want to give you both the microphone one last time. Is there any last things you want to say about this episode uh, or about like other stuff you guys are doing and, and ways that people can find you? Um, well, I I just want to throw that back to you, Matthew, and say thank you for having us on to talk about this, but also for introducing us to this aspect of Star Wars. Like, Sarah and I have always been Star Wars fans. It's, it's one of the things that kind of defines our relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet, like, we never thought about these shows. Like, I, I knew about them, Clone Wars, um, mostly. I had heard mm-hmm. about Clone Wars. And I guess at the time, I was like, I'm not really interested in a Star Wars cartoon because yeah. I was so movie-focused. <laughs> and you were one of the people who was like, no, no, you should really watch this. And we did. And we loved the Clone Wars. And then we watched Rebels. And we love <laughs> Rebels. And this just wouldn't have happened. I mean, it's very unlikely it would happen in this way if it weren't for you. So I'm just well, thank you. truly appreciative of your fandom and your advocacy for this material. Well, I'm glad. I, I One of the favorite text messages I've ever gotten is one where I think I've been trying to convince you to watch like a particular episode arc. And then like two days later you you texted me like what have you done to me because you'd watch like an entire <laughs> season or something like that i forget yeah. the details but I, I was really honored by that and i loved it and it's been yeah it's been you know it's a real pass it forward thing because i was the exact same uh i didn't want to watch animated i i kind of didn't want anything to do with star wars really after the the prequels i mm, yeah. again I've, I've shifted a lot on that and, and my star wars generation podcast is all about that um uh but and we're gonna just about to start the prequel movies and so that's gonna be really fun but yeah, I, I didn't want to watch those. And then I, I gave them a chance. And I, I think it's been why it's been really fun talking about these with you all, because we all kind of grew up with the original trilogy and to some extent with prequels. And I love Sarah, the way you've talked about that as well. But th- these shows just add so much to the stories. And it's really been just such a great experience getting to see that through your guys' eyes. And I'm, I'm really excited to do more of that. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I can't say anything better than, than Riki said it, but I mean, it's been an honor to be on the journey. Thanks so much Good. for inviting us. Our pleasure. Well, and to you fans, you have been great parts of the journey as well. We've loved the feedback and the thoughts you've been sending. Uh, we're going to kind of do probably like a, a feedback just on the, the Rebels episode. Um, uh, we'd love to get your feedback. You can find all the ways to give us feedback in the show notes. Uh, Matthew at theethicalpanda.com for, for email. Uh, theethicalpanda.com will give you everything. It'll also give you all the stuff about my other podcast, Superhero Ethics, where, as I said, Riki was a recent guest, and we talked about Godzilla Minus One and how uh, Godzilla is not just people in rubber rubber suits uh, having fights with each other, though sometimes it is, and that can be awesome too. But it can also be just like these fascinating, like really in-depth um, cultural explorations and great actors and characters and dialogues and some pretty badass monsters. Uh, all together in the same kind of movie. So check out that. Check out all the other things. And especially think about becoming a member. Only $5 a month, $55 a year. You get ad-free content. You get bonus content. 
We are kicking off a Star Wars book club, and we're also going to have a superhero ethics book club. Those episodes are going to be for members only. So uh, you can become a member, only $5 a month. And of course, it does so much to support the podcast. Uh, both Riki and Sarah are also great creators in their own ways. Please check out all the things they're doing by just clicking on their profiles on our on our website. For our members, stick around. We'll be discussing a little bit of wrap-up. And for everybody else, thank you so much. We have spoken. <laughs> My attempt at the Godzilla uh. noise. <laughs> <laughs>